This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me. It's podcasts for the weird at heart. You're listening to Keep Screaming, a horror podcast from two best friends dissecting horror movies one by one. My name is Ryan Larson. And my name is B-Bass. Every two weeks, we will bring you a brand new episode where we dissect a slasher film from top to bottom. We will look at the movie as a whole, going over the story, the casting, music choices, go kill by kill, and then rank it on how it succeeds as a slasher film. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ScreamingCast or by searching Keep Screaming. You can find me at B not B, that's B-E-E, not B-E-A, and Ryan at Ryan Larson. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Castbox, or online at podpeople.me or keepscreaming.com. This week we are dissecting 2010's Dream Home, directed by Pang Ho Chang. But first our pop culture check-in. For new listeners, our pop culture check-in is a chance for you to get to know what we've been watching, reading, and consuming outside of our movie this week, as well as life updates. Um, we haven't recorded in like two months, a month and a half, so there's a lot of life updates. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Ray. Yeah, uh, let's see. I mean, so we did pretty good for a while in quarantine, um, and then we... Uh-huh. So, that was a nice phase. Yeah, that was a productive little two weeks there. Um, and then, then like the world caught on more fire. Um, so B and I, uh, did decide, um, after the, uh, death of George Floyd that we, um, were going to postpone the podcast because it was not the appropriate time. We wanted to boost other voices and there were more important messages that needed to be, um, that needed a platform and needed to be heard so we put the podcast aside which we are very fine and comfortable with that decision um we 100 made the right decision um you know we stand with black lives matter um and then on top of that uh there were just um a lot of different things happening especially in the horror world um you know and that's another thing that we decided like there were things that were being said and being done that were more important than the podcast and again b and i also stand with um any um survivors and the women who came forward from abuse that was dealt out um unfortunately within the horror community um and yeah we decided to take a back seat on top of that um my dad died so yeah uh that was another kind of wrench thrown in there where it really you know and thankfully i have a wonderful support system and a great best friend in b and she just realized that we didn't this was not a priority and we would get to it when we could and when i was um ready and we didn't push the issue and we didn't um really force the issue and i'm happy that we didn't i missed it i i I missed like all of you guys and I miss talking to be about movies and um, I'm really excited to be back, but uh, I do think it is the best thing we could have done from every angle. Uh, and I am okay with all the decisions we made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's just, I mean, it just seems one thing after another just was telling us that 
it was just time for us in the world and personally to just sort of take a break and, you know, just let ourselves have some time and let other things be pushed and promoted and uh, talked about uh, besides us. And the world's been crazy and it's been, a, it's, we're seven months into it and just seems like it's just, no, yeah, it just seems like it's not, not going anywhere, but I'm hopeful. I have a lot of hope that with everything coming to light, we're going to get out of this year um, in a lot better place for everybody. Um, I, yeah. I truly, truly believe that. And I think this year is going to go down as one of the most important ones in you know, our history, for sure, especially here um, in the States. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, it's going to be one of the most pivotal and like important years in so many different ways um, to how we deal with worldwide disaster and crises to how we deal with um, civil unrest and injustice, like injustices occurring on our own home turf um, and how that affects and how that affects the world. So I do, but I do agree with B. Um, I'm hopeful for a better future and that we're going to set the right foot forward. And, um, you know, I think we are starting to see those things turn around. And even in our personal lives, I think we're starting to see things turn around. Um, I'm moving to Los Angeles. Um, I will be living in West LA in 10-ish days. I'll be there. Um, which is a decision I made a while ago and I'm finally, uh, following through on it to try to pursue my career in horror and in film. Um, even though that world is on pause right now, mm -hmm. there's, there's still a lot of opportunity that will be available once things get back to normal and, um, or whatever the new normal is. And, um, Starbucks, uh, fortunately was able to make things happen for me in a way that at first was very disastrous and then everything kind of lined up perfectly. Um, so, uh, you know, I do like, I'm excited for that venture. I'm sad to leave my friends and family behind, but I do think this is what I have to do just with everything that's happened in the last couple of years. Wow. You guys have been with me through, you know, um, I mean, you've been with us through family tragedy and through a divorce and through a baby and mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, just so much stuff. Yeah. Um, Let's see. We celebrate three years in October and to think of all the things that have happened yeah. in that three years is just absolutely insane. It's, it's wild. Um, and then B has a fun update with um, her kiddo because um, as of yesterday, he's doing something he wasn't doing when we went on break. Yeah, so our last episode that we recorded was with Brennan, um, and it was right before Liam's first birthday, so he is now one. Um, he actually turned 15 months yesterday, uh, which is insanity, and parenthood is a very crazy journey, and there's a lot of noise out there, um, and there's a lot of opinions on how you should raise your kid and where they should be and a lot of comparisons to make and it can be like a vicious cycle and I try I really try to to make that noise go away and just appreciate my son and everything he can do and the journey that he's on um, and not compare it to other things but it gets hard sometimes um, 
And we had our pediatrician at his one-year appointment a little bit worried that he wasn't walking yet. Um, There was just a few uh, milestones that he wasn't just quite ready for. And they told us uh, if he wasn't walking by 15 months, they would like to intervene um, and that we needed to give them a call. So my son, being the lovely asshole that he is, waited until... The day before he turned 15 months to start walking, Um, it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. And now he acts like it's been a couple days. He literally acts like he's been walking for a month, like no big deal. He's just like, could do it the whole time and just didn't want to. And that's okay. He's going to be stubborn just like his parents. Yeah. Yeah, it's. Yeah, it's been crazy. And it's a crazy time to have a kid. I'm so thankful that I'm safe. And although my husband and I are both back at work and have been, um, we're able to do that as safely as possible. Luckily, his job is contactless. I am. I do work at Starbucks part-time in addition to freelance. Uh, and it's you know, as safe as you can be working in customer service right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm just so thankful for all of our health and to have had the last four months with my family and the extra time to just sort of slow down. If anything, I'm just really trying to, which is hard for me, live in the now and appreciate this phase in life and all that I do have because I do have a lot. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, what's been going on the last few months over here, just motherhood and navigating working and all that crazy stuff. It seems like, I don't know. I don't know where the time went. I really, yeah, this year is, um, like flying by, um, it's so odd because that first month in quarantine felt a million years long and then everything since then has just been like a rapid speed. Um, yeah. yeah, but I'm with B. I mean, just thankful. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of people that, um, were not as lucky as us. And, you know, I'm, we're, I'm, I'm thankful that we still have jobs and that we still have our benefits and that we're still able to like take advantage of those things. Um, and then just trying to do whatever we can to help everyone else who's less fortunate than us. Um, so it's been a good time to reflect a lot. Um, I think there's been a lot of growth, like self-growth with, uh, with a lot of us. And um, it's, yeah, uh, <laughs> it's, I don't know. It's been every emotion I like ever has been felt in the last couple months. So, um, but I am now excited. Um, I'm back. We're back to the podcast. Um, you know, I've got the, these new ventures ahead of me, um, you know, uh, even seeing B send me a videos of Liam basically running from mm-hmm, mm-hmm. went from wouldn't even take a step. Like he would take one step towards me and then sit on his butt because he's a little jerk. And then set yesterday, I just get a video of him running at B and I'm like, Oh so yeah. He just wanted to show you that he's the best at it. Uh-huh. That's what it is. He's just like his dad. He wants to be the best at it. So he's like, no, I'm going to wait till I'm the best at it. Um, yeah. So and I was on a phone call with my mom, and she's like, oh, is he, like, stumbling and falling? I'm like, no. He no. Stumble. He's not like those typical videos you see of, like, wobbly little babies. He's walking like he's been walking. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, he's cruising. Damn kid. Um, you know what? And I don't really have a lot of stuff for pop culture. I check in mostly because one, I'm unprepared, and two, I've been doing like I'm in the process of moving and work and stuff, and I am watching stuff, but also a lot of it is for the site and. I got to be 100% honest. I don't know what I can talk about and what I can't because <laughs> um, I kind of have forgot what's on embargo and not. But I will say this because um, I know it's not. Check out The Beach House and Relic. Both are very good and very different. Relic, you're going to see a lot of comparisons to Hereditary, which I understand, but it's a very, very different movie. Um, those comparisons exist because it is about like family um, and it does have that, you know, dread, that slow build dread, but it's, it is not like, it does not take the same twists and turns as Hereditary. Um, and it, I, the way I put it in my review was Hereditary aims for your gut and Relic aims for your heart. Um, so that's very much worth a view. Um, and then Beach House is over on Shudder and I just really liked it. Um, it's a very like minimal set piece, uh, just kind of a mix of like a lot of it feels like John Carpenter's The Fog, but then a lot of it has like some body horror elements in it. Um, and there's even a lot of like Romero kind of cultural things in there. Um, so I do think that one is 100% worth checking out as well. Those are the two main ones I'm going to push. Maybe by the time this episode is out, there's a movie called Amulet coming out that you should watch too, but I'll touch on that later. Um, but those two, Relic and Beach House. And like I said, Relic you can rent and Beach House is on Shutter. And if you don't have Shutter yet, what are you doing? Um, it's five bucks a month. And mm -hmm. there's so many places that give away that first month for free. Um, mm -hmm. So at least check it out. Yeah, maybe someday ask. Yeah, that'd be dope. Yeah. I do know Sam and Craig, I should ask. Um, maybe we'll work on that for you guys. Yeah, there See you if go. we get you guys a free month. Um, I watched, uh, a, a decent amount of things. I will. So I watched the new Hulu movie, Palm Springs. Oh, uh, I loved it. Yeah. With Andy Samberg and, um, Ryan, look up her name. Kristen Milioti. There we go. Yeah. The mom from How I Met Your Mother. Mm -hmm. Um, spoiler alert for that show, which by the way, we watched all the way through that, uh, rewatched in quarantine. Um, this is why I don't watch any movies, guys. Failure in life. Um, I loved it. I went in completely blind and was not expecting it to be a like a Groundhog Day type movie. And it is in the most bizarre and weird way. Like my husband just turned it on in the morning. We're like drinking coffee and we'd finish How I Met Your Mother. So he's like, what do we put on? And I'm like, ooh, put on Sons of Anarchy. And because that's what I'm rewatching right now. And he's like, mm. I would, but you're already seasoned into it, and I don't want to watch something I have no idea what's going on. And I was like, okay, fine. Ended up working out because we started the movie, and we kept looking at each other and, like, laughing and going, like, this is really weird. Like, this is strange. And uh, it was just super enjoyable, a funny take on the idea of, like, these idyllic Instagrammable like weddings, um, sort of like a commentary on that. And then also just like know. a very existential, it got super deep the second half. Really, really deep. And like about love and about life. Like Sandberg's whole arc is about life and uh -huh. Miliati's whole arc is about love and they yeah. combine. And you like know? being and like what type of person you are yeah. and like how you want to live your life. That was like when I, you come out of it and you kind of go, all right, 
So, well, like, with these two characters and their arcs, this movie was truly about them realizing, like, what kind of life they want to have. What kind of person they want to be when they wake up every day. Yeah. And Sandberg is interesting to me. I was texting someone about it. I can't remember who now. Um, But I was like, he reminds me so much of Adam Sandler in the sense that they both get written off as kind of like these goofy guys, you know, that like obviously do over the top comedy and they get pigeonholed into like that a lot. But like when they do dramatic roles, I think they're both like incredible. Um, I, I mean, I definitely, Sandberg hasn't existed as long as Sandler. So I don't think his Mrs. List is quite as long for me. Um, Like I think Sandberg has been pretty much amazing in everything he's been in, except ironically the one, adam sandler movie he's in um <laughs> but uh like just the parts where it does get serious when like sam Brooks' character really starts examining his life and like what he wants to do in this time loop and like possibly getting out like the idea of how he can get out of it and if he even wants to get out of it like all that stuff like when it it's time to get serious i thought he was fantastic but then of course he's just as good when he's being funny um yeah i loved it and mm-hmm. i thought it was just like it also made me really want to go to Palm Springs because <laughs> yeah. I was like, that looks beautiful. I would love mm-hmm. to go. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I love that one too. Yeah, I'm trying to think. There's something else, like a new release that I watch, but now uh, it's like escaping me. Hmm. Who knows, really? Um, but for we'll... being, uh, yeah, quarantine, I have been surprised at the amount of movies we are still getting. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much I longer that will last. It's going to slow down. You know, like I've watched the new Scoob movie, like, yeah, um, you, we watched Bloodshot. You watched Bloodshot yet? I didn't I watch Bloodshot, Bloodshot yet. Yeah. Um, oh, God. King of Island. Dude, um, it's on the tip of my tongue. What? I rented it. So I was like, oh. Oh, I watched Knives Out. Oh, yeah. Um, so Which I really liked where I talked about it because he went and saw it in theaters on a you know, few episodes back. Uh, but I really enjoyed that. Took me five fucking days to watch it. What and did you rent, though? Because it wasn't something. Knives Out. Cause no, because that's on Prime. Uh, Did you log it? Probably not. Oh, my God. It was just, I just had it. Oh, wow. Frick. I'll remember. We'll be talking about something about the movie this week. And I'm like, oh, yeah. We watched Hamilton. We watched Hamilton. That was spectacular. I'm so glad that I also went into that blind. Oh, me too. I hadn't even listened to the music. No, I hadn't listened to the music at all because I was like, no, I'm going to see that, you know, lofty goals. You're going to see Hamilton. You know what? 2020 delivered. It's not all bad, guys. I watched Old Guard. It was really fun, really good. Check that out. I don't know if you'll remember eventually. I will. Um, all right. So the movie we're covering this week, wow, wowzers. Um, it's been a while mm. since we've done this, so bear with us. Uh, we are covering Dream Home from 2010, um, which we a, a number of people have like referenced this one to us for sure. Um, it's it and it's kind of been brought up a lot. I feel like with our like our our slasher friends, like people who are in the slashers. Like I know Turek loves this uh-huh. one. I think Brennan brought it up. Um, like quite a few people we know who like aren't, it's not just like horror, but like slasher specifically had brought up like, oh, Dream Home. And B and I have been looking for something from Asian cinema for a while anyways. I mean, we did cover Game Over, but that, I mean, then that's Asian, right? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it, was, it was South Asia. India. Anyway. Yeah, which um, is South Asian. Yeah. Um, oh. uh, but yeah, so this one is Dream Home, um, which is from Hong Kong from 2010. Um, and the synopsis is uh, 
Cheng Lishong is a young, upwardly mobile professional, finally ready to invest in her first home. But when the deal falls through, she is forced to keep her dream alive, even if it means keeping her would-be neighbors dead. Um, I'm going to let you guys in on a little secret right now. If you're going to watch this movie, go watch the trailer that is on um, IMDb first. Because it's so funny. I'll play like a little clip. I'll like insert a clip of the voiceover because it's hilarious and very American. And also like doesn't fit the movie no. at all. And also really weird because this movie did come out in 2010, but it still has like one of those voiceover vo- like trailers. Like 90s voiceover. Yeah. And it, oh, what did it say in it? It's just like. I Tons of like the posters. Do, I mean, at least in translated into English, there's no taglines for it. And so, but the trailer, man, it's just oh, punch it's full, full of, them. Yeah. of like puns and perfect taglines to pull, man. Yeah, and it's, it's, so good. it's totally like the trailer voice guy. And, yeah. You know, he's like, when she wants to buy a house but can't afford it. Ever since she was a little girl, she dreamed of living at the top of the world. What is happening uh-huh. here? It's so weird because the movie. I mean, the movie is not in English at all, so it's just like no. really—I don't know—it's very off-putting, but enjoyable, especially yeah, because it's go so it's an year. IFC Midnight like picked it up, yeah, um, distributed it. and so it distributed it here, distributed it here. Wow, um, I can talk, guys. I can do that, and so I think that's why this was like the trailer that they put out to mm-hmm. you know advertise it. Oh, it's just man, guys, it's a gem. You can find that on YouTube.com. Yeah, uh, or or on IMDb. Yeah, um, yeah. So released May thirteen um, of twenty ten. So happy uh, ten years to oh, this film. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's been a little over ten years. I didn't see anyone write a ten year like that's weird. Most of the 10, 15, 20, you see a lot of those like retrospectives. Well, here we are. Yeah, I guess we're here I to fill the void. That, um, somewhere. I mean, it's a couple months past, but I can do it. Um, and yeah, it, no, no budget, like, uh, listed really anywhere. Um, but there was a box office, yeah. um, translated or like converted into American dollars as 383,000. Um, and it was a festival movie. Um, it was picked up, uh, here in the States. And as far as I could tell from my research, uh, did well. It's always interesting. I, when talking about these films versus ones that not only are American made, but are made in Ryan and I's lifetime, or at least our lifetime that we have a cultural reference for. So any of the movies from the aughts um, and some of them from the nineties, we can speak to the culture and the environment of the United States at the time. It's always different when, you know, we're trying to talk about these films and the landscape and the commentary it's making when we have no reference for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, yeah, it's the same with, you know, how this film did. Like I'm not, it seems like it did well and there's a lot of people attached to it who, you know, are like up and coming and have now had really good careers. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I was looking. I just wanted to be sure they speak Cantonese. That's what the movie is. Uh, the, that's what language they are speaking, which is the main dialect in in Hong Kong. Um, it's like makes up ninety percent of their dialect. Yeah, um, yeah I mean seventy eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Um, after its festival showings, it received um, mixed reviews. Not for, uh, 
from horror fans uh, or horror reviewers, I should say, all of the negative reviews were just about how outwardly gory and violent the film is. And with maybe without needing to be, but that's a fucking slasher. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's extremely intent. I read this interview with the director and he was like, no, I mean, I was making a slasher movie. Like specifically, I went in this to make a slasher movie. Uh, He has like two co-writers on the film and he's like, they weren't familiar with horror that well and they weren't familiar with slashers and I gave them like a crash course and told them you need to learn it because that is what we are making so very very intentional to make something about the kills something extremely violent and gory for the sake of being violent and gory and not not really because there was anything in the plot that warranted it Mm -hmm. um so I think that's important to note with these reviews is like I mean, if you don't understand that, you don't get it. I mean, I I will never watch this movie again. I will say that. I probably won't. Um, maybe one more time. Like I, maybe. Years down the road, if someone's like, did you see this? I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember it being pretty violent. And then I'll yeah. watch it again and be like, oh, fuck. Yeah. I have a high tolerance for violence. I and- do, too. And this is this hits you for sure. Um, Variety praised it, um, saying it's a deliciously dark tale on the dog-eat-dog Hong Kong housing market. Another slickly produced femme-driven item from multi-hyphenate Peng. Um, With its intricate editing and dash of capitalist critique, adding some gloss, a hint of topicality to the blood-soaked proceedings, which is just spot on. Mm -hmm. Um, And you get that even being somebody who's not familiar with Hong Kong and the housing market. And that is 100% a commentary on how difficult it is uh, to to purchase a home, specifically a loft in Hong Kong. And this is 10 years ago. I can only imagine what what it's like now. The same when I was reading that interview with the director, he's just like, no, I mean, we thought it was insane because we'd see people buying. The whole idea for the film was we'd see people buying flats that we knew and we'd be like, how is that possible? Like, what crazy thing did they have to do to come up with the money to buy this flat? Like, they'd know what their profession was and like, there's no way they paid for this. And so then they kind of just like were joking around and like, well, then maybe they did this and maybe they did this to pay for it. And that's sort of the origins of the story. Which is um, funny because I feel like we all do that. Like, we do that as a group of friends. Yeah. Like, we know someone and we're like, how do they afford that? And then it's us just, I mean, I guess we don't go into, like, you know, these uh, strange worlds of, like, murder. For us, it's usually like, well, I guess they're just massively in debt. Right. Uh, like, oh, they're yeah. in debt. Or, you know, maybe they've got. Or maybe um, they sell drugs. <laughs> yeah, maybe they sell drugs. That's so, always our first yeah, big thing to go to. Me and I grew up in Mendocino County. If you guys are unaware, Mendocino County is part of the Emerald Triangle, which is one of the major hubs for marijuana, not just in California, but the U.S. Like, you can go. I have I mean, this has literally happened. I went to Florida. And, like, I've mentioned where I live. And they didn't know Ukiah necessarily, but when I brought up Mendocino County, mm-hmm. they immediately knew. They were like, oh, do you have any weed on you? And I was like, wow. So, like, it's a major, major export. Not legal, but, like, major of export. Of illegal marijuana. Yeah, of illegal marijuana. So, for us, very much a lot of the time when someone has an excess of money and we know that they are, like, a barista or work at, like, a retail store, we're like, they probably just sell weed. Right. Um, that's or always grow. our assumption. Yeah, and, like, grow, any business sell. we ever see, we're like, do you ever see anyone in there? We're always like, it's, it's a front. front. 
like instantly. <laughs> and so that is very much like our cultural background yeah. growing up is like anybody like dash to burn. And there's always these like fake businesses on main street, like type of thing. And I mean, that's what we go to. So, it's so that'd be my assumption. Yeah. Like if we were to make this movie, like that's what it would be. It would just be instead of her killing people, it'd just be like a massive grow house. Yep, exactly. Uh, Screen Daily gave the film also positive reviews, stating with its clever packaging and slasher credentials, the film will be grossing out viewers on the festival circuit and home video market for some time to come. Josie Hill in the lead role is focused, but a little wooden. Nonetheless, Peng's direction is tight, and cinematography by Yu Li Guai is unobtrusively effective. Um, film Business Asia gave the film a 6 out of 10, writing that the film starts with a brilliant idea and has some great moments along the way, but as so often doesn't quite manage to make all the bits cohere as the audience expects. Um, Which I can understand. There's definitely a few things in there that I was like, wait, where where are we in the storyline here? Like, why is this important? He definitely does some Tarantinoing, um, where he's kind of like hopping around and you're like, wait, what is this? And then you have to realize... Yeah, and I guess his uh, justification for that was that he didn't want people to be bored with the buildup before the kills happened. Mm. So that was his, like, idea was like, no, I mean, people are going to want to see kills happen right off the bat, so we just won't tell the story in order. I like that, though. Yeah. And also, even the, like, critique of um, Josie Ho being wooden is, for me, okay, because Josie is not a final girl she is our killer Mm -hmm. which fits the killer motif from slashers yes um of the kind of like one directional um not very characteristic yeah lack of personality yeah Yeah. so i actually think it works well for the slasher trend uh b what do you think of these posters yeah so um we'll talk about two and i will post them on our uh social so you can know what we're talking about so there's one poster that is um completely in i assume cantonese and that is uh, an illustrated poster of our killer. And she's sort of like holding the knife uh, up towards her towards her face so you can see it. Um, and then the, the type is all going on the right side from top to bottom. And there's all these sort of like paint splashes to imitate blood. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a really cool poster. It definitely feels... Uh, a little art housey, which doesn't fit the film itself, which I don't love. This definitely looks like something more along the lines of, um, oh, what was that? Speaking of art, that movie about the guy who's like possessed um, and he's a painter and it like takes a bunch of different directions. Um, demon something. No. no. Um, the guy from Can't Hardly Wait. It was like a 90s heartthrob and then he's in this john cusack no oh okay oh, oh ethan embry De- yes. devil's candy devil's candy thank uh, you uh, i was like can't hold we away i was like no i'm thinking the wrong we movie. are gonna we were gonna get there yeah uh that's what i have him around for so it reminds me of that movie like this poster gives mm-hmm. off those vibes because he's a yeah like yeah and just yeah. you know so it's it's well done it just doesn't super convey slasher to me but again like I prefaced, that could be very much be a cultural thing. Mm. This is not the poster meant for American audiences. Um, so I love this. Second yes, poster. the one meant for American audiences, which is where if you go to rent them. <laughs> Sorry, my dog's here. Be lay down. 
if you go to rent the movie on Amazon, you will see this poster um, if you're here in the States. And it is our killer laying down. And she's literally just on a bed of bodies and items from the house, like the lofts that she goes into. And... Uh, the people that she's killed, she's like laying on top of them. It's like her on her mountain of chaos. Um, it looks like a bunch of toys, like uh-huh. toy, like a, like destroyed toys. Yeah, it's super box. bright yeah. and colorful, and I mean, I just think it's absolutely perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, Dream Home is what is the typeface is in what's called like a modern typeface. It means that there's extreme thick and thins um, to the to the typeface, so a ton of contrast, which you will definitely see. I think this, my assumption would be this is a, like, throwback, like, throwing nods to, like, HGTV. Mm. Um, And, like, architectural magazines will use modern fonts like this. Um, And not modern as in modern, the way we describe like furniture and things like that, but the the type of typeface this is, um, which looks very elegant and fancy. It's always used in um, architectural type stuff and interior design. So I'm assuming that would be the reasoning behind it, which I think fits um, versus using something that screams horror slasher. Um, I like the combination of the two. Yeah. Um, like we said no taglines i don't know if they do a lot of taglines overseas yeah i feel like i've never seen them really even just i mean i've been watching i've been watching like japanese chinese korean horror for a long time um i got really into it in high school and i just even don't even remember seeing anything on any of those like we used to import dvds over and stuff and never remember seeing like taglines even on the on those um so yeah i don't know if they do a lot of that uh, no sequel, no plan for one doesn't really set up for one doesn't need one. No. It's a very self-contained story. Mm-hmm. Uh, our director is also our writer, and that is uh, Peng Ho Chung. Um, in 1997, at 24, he began 18 months of research for his first novel, Full-Time Killer. Uh, it was very popular, sold more than 100,000 co- copies in Hong Kong. It was reworked as a radio program and then adapted into a feature film in 01. Um he was a television and radio host when he decided to try uh, directing. Uh, he directed Ghost, which was featured in uh, Tribeca Film Festival in 2010. Um, then his filmography is pretty big, but not a lot of recent stuff. Um, he slows down a lot. Well, not really. I mean, well, I mean, like one every you know couple of years. Yeah, that's true. I guess it's a lot for a director. Yeah, you, but not a lot of horror, I guess. Um, yeah. You Shoot, I Shoot in 01, Men Suddenly in Black, Beyond Our Ken, A.V., Isabella, Exodus, Trivial Matters, Love in a Puff, Dream Home, Love in the Buff, Bulgaria, Aberdeen, Woman Who Flirt, Women Who Flirt, Love Off the Cuff, and Misbehavior. And I remember when I was looking up this movie, too, I was looking him up, and, like, most of these are, like, rom-coms. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is very, like, out of brand for his directorial style, but not necessarily for his writing style. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wrote it along with Jimmy Wan and Derek Singh. Um, Just like I mentioned, no uh, no experience in horror. They'd never done anything in horror. And then, you know, they had an investor um, who was like, was paying for the, for the film and how they got it made. And it was the same thing. Like, he was basically just like, no, this is what I'm making and it, it'll be fine. Like, don't worry about it. it. Everybody else was kind of going into the process blind. 
Um, Derek Sang is a actor and director too. He doesn't have like a lot of writing credits, but he seems like he's a big deal for sure. Um, and like some of the biggest titles that he's known for is Soulmate in 2016, Lover's Discourse in 2010, and Better Days in 2019. Um, yeah. The score was done by Gabrielle Roberto. She has 33 credits, um, uh, both Japanese and Italian. Um, so she crosses. She's an international composer for sure. Uh, and then our editor is Wenders Lee, who has over 78 credits. And then cinematographer is Nelson uh, Likwayu with 31 credits um, to their name as well. So a lot of the behind-the-scenes staff has a lot of lot of experience. film history mm -hmm. yeah um but again like you said when you look through not none of them are like horror yeah i like, couldn't pull people. and yeah. i don't name them because like if i could have pulled some bigger like horror titles i would have but um definitely like a lot of just other genres for sure a lot of dramas a lot of romantic films a lot of comedies these are the names you we're like, you're going to have to handle this. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So I just flat out told Ray, I don't have as much experience with non uh, American white names. Um, I just haven't come into contact with them enough. So uh, Ray has done more with his jobs. And so I will let him handle the casting in hopes of being a little bit more. Yeah. I'm going to do my accurate. best. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, like I said, I've been watching like this stuff and I've been, uh, you know, like, uh, I'm like a nerdy person. So I also, you know, read anime and or read manga and watch anime. So like I do and video games and all that. So I, a little more of the handling yeah. of these names. So I'll do my best. Um, Josie Ho is our, is our killer. Well, like we said, no final girl. Um, and she is, um, Cheng Lei Shung, um, in the movie. She has, she has 61 credits, but mostly well known for this film. Um, she also did full strike in, in the room, both in 2015. Um, and then we get basically, she is our only really named character that matters um mostly everyone else are just like tenants in this building that kind of have names like or titles assigned to them based on jobs or kind of what they look like uh, or what their function is uh wang ching as the security guard Ethan chan as um sao tu uh michelle Ye as flat 8a female owner and joe cook as flat 8a female owner's friend cheng hao some as jimmy Pao He Ching as Sheng's mother, uh, Lo Hoi Peng as Sheng's grandpa, Norman Choi as Sheng's father, Lap Man Tan as flat 8A male owner, Love it. Uh, Lam Yu Sing as Sheng's brother, Derek Sang as Chung Jai, uh, Lawrence Chow as An Jai, Song Xiao Cheng as woman A, Zhao Chu Chu. <laughs> Uh, as woman B, Fat Chan as Blondie, Felix Loke as cop man, and then Juno Mock as cop fat. Yes, I loved it so much. It's great. Uh, but also, I kind of love that because they were just like, these people are a body count. Yeah, they don't matter. They don't matter. So, like, yeah. we're literally assigning them this is their function in the yeah. movie. Woman A, woman B, yeah. flat owner. Like, I love cop man and cop fat. Yeah, so good. That's <laughs> like the best. That's why I was like, oh, like, these characters like aren't as important. I'm like, no, I'm keeping that in. Like that's that's too good. Um, and yeah, it's funny. I always think back. I can't remember. I've talked about it on the podcast before. I can't remember who said it, but they say, um, you know, if they read a script and the characters have last names, you know that there's going to be actual character development, mm -hmm. and that the writer has taken 
like thoughts to actually build these characters and imagines them as real people where if it's just like Derek, Ryan, like, you know, these just names like, okay, well, there wasn't like a ton of background work done. And this is even better. Woman A. Yeah. And like, if you even go through and read like a synopsis of the film or anything, she is the like, um, Ching is the only character named. Uh-huh. Um, so that's literally like just how much it's focused on her. Right. It's home invasion-ish. It's hard to classify. Um, a subgenre, yeah. Yeah, as a subgenre. Really follow, it follows molds, but not... I don't know. It yeah. Does, yeah, it's 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 a slash. It is a slasher. Like no part of me that watches it and it like thinks it's not a slasher. But it's like it's strange. It's strange one that America, like American slashers, haven't done this yet, really in a popular way, at least um, of from the killer's point of view. We haven't had a lot of that. Um, at least not knowing that it's the killer. Yeah, Tragedy Girls a little bit does that. Yeah. Um, so, but Spoiler like, killer alert. Yeah. Oops. Um, but <laughs> like, it's kind of. Now that I'm thinking about it, it's actually kind of odd that we haven't seen more of that. Um, right, Le- where we're Vernon following a little bit is your yeah. meta take and then, on that. You know, um, Silent Night, Deadly Night. We follow that would the be killer. the most. Yeah, I'd say that's probably the and most. And that's one that we yeah. always we had a hard time ranking for that reason because we are following. Like, well, you see it, but this is really like you get so much from other characters, and there's so many sidelines, and you get to know the people that he's killing, even though you're really following the arc of the killer and there's no final girl with this one. It's like, we know nothing Mm -hmm. about any of the other people. It's literally just the people in her personal life. We get like the people she works with, the guy that she's seeing and her dad and her dad. And then everything else is just the people she's killing because they live in this loft and she wants the price to go down. Yeah, so it's home invasion-ish because she is breaking into people's homes. And but killing it's not them. from the perspective uh-uh. of I'm the person in my home and it's getting invaded. Yeah, it's very odd. Yeah. Um, but like in a good way because it's something we haven't seen before. Um, and so like we said, the killer is uh, Cheng Leishong. Um that she definitely has motive and backstory. Um, yeah, so her motive is is that she's like dreamed of a little girl. Um, you know, she's like talking with her father about these houses, um, these flats that they're building, and you can view the ocean, and it's just like their dream to like. And she's like, "Yeah, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna buy one of those, and we're gonna be able to live there because they don't live in a very nice place." Well, they they got evicted and they specifically get evicted to build yeah, them to yeah. build them. So they're losing their home. They're forcing them out, um, doing all kinds of tactics to force these people out of their homes so that they can tear it down and build these nice lofts. So she's like, "No, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna work hard, and I'm going to be able to buy it." And then she does that and she works really hard and she's not able to. It's too expensive. They won't give her the loan. Um, And so she's just becomes absolutely desperate um, to, to get this place. And I mean, that's her motive The she knows that if she kills the neighbors in the loft, that the price will go down. Yep. And she will then be able to afford it. Yeah. Um, and it does become a, like, yeah, it, it turns into a mania because, and an obsession. Because she does it initially, like, her whole plan is, I'm going to buy one of these for me and my mom and dad to live in. And then her mom dies. And then her dad becomes very sick. 
um, and he even dies, uh, and she lets him die. Yeah, and because she realizes that there's something about, like, the insurance or for some reason, like, they're not going to cover his medical bill. So she's sitting down and realize how much it's going to cost yep. to be able to keep her father alive. And so she just lets him die because that's going to prevent her from getting this place. Um, lots of weapons are used. Um, the knife is the one she carries around. It's also the one on the poster, which is, like, your traditional, um, you know, like, um, kitchen knife, like... Um, very Michael Myers-esque. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty high body count. It's, I mean, so it's high-ish. We've had higher. There's technically 14 deaths, but 13 kills because one of the deaths is her mother um, who just dies um, of an unknown illness. But uh, like, Her father dies of an illness, but she can't help him, and she doesn't. Yeah, it's her ignorance, or not her ignorance, but her, um, yeah, her just... What is that word? I'm forgetting now. It's blanking. That's because you said ignorance. I know. Now you oh fucked me up. It's her... I don't know. Negligence. Yes. Thank you. Negligence. Woo, yes. Woo, I there did we go. it. Um, that's what, I mean, kills her father. She, you know, lets, lets him die. But despite the count being probably in the middle of where we've done things, like, you know, 13 is pretty high, um, but we've had higher um, and we've had much lower. It is the graphic uh, nature of these kills and the, I, I will give, um, you know, I will give, Peng Ho Chang, our director, like a lot of credit. There is a lot of, as hard it is to watch, there's a lot of style and substance to these um, and the brutality and the way it's edited. So, you know, credits to Wondersley and um, and to Peng because the way it's put together, mm-hmm. it just feels violent. Like it feels visceral. It's very visceral. It's very fast. Um, if, you know, uh, similar to Hong Kong action movies, it feels like a Hong Kong action movie, like that kind of quick cut, like quick edit, um, snapping back and forth with like things happening very suddenly, um, very flashy, uh, but it is fucking hard to watch um, because they really go there. Um, You know, we've covered basically the background of the story, which is she wants this, this flat, um, it's at Victoria Bay. It overlooks Victoria Harbor. Uh, she can't afford it. You know, she's working two jobs. She has a loan. She even asked her married lover for money, and he says no. Um, so she, there's all these things that have just led her to kind of her breaking point. Um, and when her father dies, that's really, um, that's really, I think, what throws her over the edge, and she decides to take it into her own hands. Um, so she goes, like, literally on a killing frenzy. Um, it's, and so there's not, there's no plot in that. Like literally it's just her running through this building to numerous rooms and killing people so that she can drive the prices down. Um, so, you know, um, in the first, in the first room, uh, we get a security guard that she strangles with a zip tie and he accidentally slits his own throat. Um, she does that a lot, like the zip, like the plastic bag over the head with the zip tie to suffocate him. Um, the maid in that room is impaled through the head, um, like a, a screwdriver goes through her head, like through her eyeball. Um, mm-hmm. Very good practical effects of this yeah. the whole way through, too. Well, and I guess it's so funny, like the perspective of this interview, like I'm really glad I read it. Um, and I'll link to it on our Twitter so you guys can read it for yourselves, too. 
but I guess the director like hated the whoever the investor hired to do the special effects and like it just they did not look good so they ended up doing a lot more practical things than they were originally intending to do which is always the way to go yeah oh yeah and like it makes a lot of sense too because she uses just things she finds around the house like she has some stuff she brings with her but her big weapon is like the knife um but like she definitely ends up using like a ton of things that she just brings uh like or that she finds in the house um like straight up like you know trigger warning on this one um she kills pregnant woman who is she suffocates with a plastic bag um and like the way she does it is like she has the bag and she like uses a vacuum Mm -hmm. and like sets it in reverse so it sucks all the oxygen out of it yeah it's it's like one of those um like vacuum seal bags yeah yeah put put a blanket in and then you suck out all the air and so it makes it really small yeah and she straight up uses that on a pregnant woman um who the pregnant woman has already tripped and fallen and it's very heavily implied she's miscarried um so yeah you know if that's going to not fly with you uh maybe not the best movie for you to watch it is hard to watch um uh-huh. even really like numerous every... reviewers said like that yeah. is probably the hardest scene but like literally almost every kill in this every kill is hard to watch if, mm-hmm. and we often complain about cutaways and lack of gore and not showing enough and like i feel like this just came to say like oh yeah yeah you're gonna complain here you go because it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It l- lingers. For, it's like I was telling Ryan after we first watched it, my first reaction. It feels mean. It feels yeah. mean. It reminded me of Maniac where uh-huh. it just, the the kills take so long. Mm-hmm. And, and not the act of the killing, but like the act of the person dying. And like normally it's like the slasher trend is you chop off the head or you you know something slit the through throat, the mouth or, and yeah. then it's done and then it's like bam 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 and you go on to the next thing this is slow oh yeah it's like her leaning on bodies while they slowly yeah. take their like death rattles you, and I'm like, they Ugh. want you to feel it and yeah. you fucking feel it it's 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 hard to watch it's intense i would um, actually say the movie gets easier as you go on it does because those first couple it's hard because they're just like their families like she literally kills so she kills this this mother this maid um she kills um a husband like the husband the coming the, home yeah um she hits him with a golf club uh, iron and his neck his neck snaps but as it goes on it gets easier because she runs into these like scummy guys that yeah. are like date raping someone well but they even try and make you feel scummy about the family because the husband's off cheating while his pregnant wife is at home right um and then she like kind of makes some comments um and so they try and make the people she's killing like not super likable but i mean there's there's never going to be a moment where like yep that fucking pregnant woman deserved to die yeah, like the, that's just never gonna the first happen. two are hard because security guard's just doing his job and yeah then, and then the maid and the pregnant woman so yeah. the first three kills are hard to get through because you're like these are just people and, and there's no context to her story yet we're yeah. still like getting tiny tidbits they hit you with these kills fiesta yeah and then like b said you know you start the the people get worse as it goes on because you do have the husband who's cheating and then you run into like it's basically like this party apartment right and there's these guys um that like are very like punk rock um you know they all like dyed hair and mohawks and piercings and stuff and they have women over and they're taking advantage of them for sure um like they're doing drugs yeah i mean they like hired them they're like sex workers is the assumption but 
they do it to like an extreme one of them's literally like throwing up and they're like no you need to get her like yeah one of them's asleep when they yeah. start to do something yeah. with her they're yeah. like oh no you need to try and wake they have, her like up. a lookout and everything yeah yeah so it gets like those ones and that whole scene in that apartment i thought was probably the easiest to watch because that almost feels because it's so fast and breakneck like it almost feels like an action movie like it feels like mm -hmm. like in john wick when he mm -hmm. goes through into a room and he just kind of like starts like fighting people yeah but then um, she also kills the women but yeah. the part that i really uh, enjoyed about this part is the uh one of the scummy guys that she impales with the uh broken bong pipe he like is alive the whole time oh yeah and even like the cop like uh cop man and cop fat show up <laughs> and he's still alive mm -hmm. and he like lights up a cigarette and that's like the one moment of like slasher humor that comes in that and that sex scene one mm -hmm. where she kills the guy while he's behind her because they're having sex doggy style and she says to finish on her and so blood sprays all over uh -huh. her and it, and, he, and so she thinks he's finished but yeah, it's his it's blood, blood. And <laughs> i so, thought those yeah. were both like no yeah. those are great because you get sort of those like typical like 80s light moments and slashers that we all love especially when the movie itself is so freaking brutal and dark where, where you have those moments normally i'd be like oh it felt like really out of place but if anything that felt like okay like now it's like getting into it and it needed know. levity yeah, yeah it did um yeah so we get like b said the girl's like throwing up in the bathroom her head is smashed through the toilet bowl um and then there's um Anjai is the one who's having sex with the girl from behind. He's knifed six times through the back. And then the girl the girl realizes that uh, what has happened. And she's like hiding from her under the bed for a while. But she's eventually impaled through the head with a broken plank off of the bed. Yeah. Uh, and then the police officers show up from all the commotion. And she does manage to kill them both too. Um, a throat slit to one of them. And then she actually shoots the other one. Um, and then Blondie, I think, is the last person who shows up, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was, like, out on the stairwell. Yeah. Um, and she disembowels him. Um, and that's it. I mean, like yeah. like we said, like, there's not... They do give us a plot, but most of this movie is just her killing people. Yeah, and then she gets the house. She gets the flat. She moves in with her brother. Yeah, and there's a very small nod to the American stock market crash mm -hmm. recession um, in the 2000s. Oh, right. So it's literally, like, they have, um, like, a little she's listening to like the news or the radio and they talk about how it's so fucking grim. I, it, the movie ended and uh, my friend Derek was uh, watching it as well. And he was like, Oh my goodness. Are you serious? He's like, well, what does that mean? I'm like, what that means is they're telling us that the market just is crashing. And that means the housing market's going to crash. So that loft that she just paid, you know, paid for, uh, is going to massively drop in price. Yep. Yeah, it's a bummer. Yeah, and then, like, <laughs> that's how it finishes, and you're like, oh, okay, cool. Like, she didn't have to do – and that's it. That's how they wanted it to end, where, like, none of those people had to die because the house would have – she would have been able to afford it because of the market crashing. Yep. Um, but it's a breezy movie at 96 minutes, but you're going to have to suffer through some of it. And I don't mean suffer – just like it's just – like we said, it's hard. Yeah. Um, but I do think that last half hour flies by. It does. Like once you, they, 
that party apartment uh-huh. like it really just goes full tilt and um, you've gotten sort of all the like disjointed flashbacks you've started to understand like what's happening yeah. at this point in the movie and then you just sort of roll with it and you're in on it and you're like okay i see i know what's happening i see this yeah um it's it's a movie i mean it's very different than a lot of things we've watched before it still fits in the slasher like genre and medium and it's um, I'm glad we watched it. It's also interesting that it came out in like 2010. Um, you know, it wasn't a big time for slasher movies. Like um, uh, even America had gone over its slasher remake craze by then almost. But we were like t- near the end of it. Um, so it was cool to get something from overseas. Uh, we don't have a final boy or girl. Um, we just have our killer. And then uh, favorite kill. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll tell you which one it's not. <laughs> it's yeah. not the mom. Uh, no, for me, it's got to be the bomb kill. It is. Yeah. It's uh, it's the best kill in the movie. Yeah. It's holographic and violent and... It's really fun. Practical. But it's super fun. It's a, like a true slasher and it's like a found object. It's like I've like found this, I've picked it up and I've used it. Um, because that's even, you know, all of our icons except for Michael and Ghost. No, Michael does it too. Uh, Ghostface is really the only person who never kills without the knife. Um, but Jason, like, sure, it's like Ghostface his. Kills, uh, or he thinks he kills Randy with the TV? No, they kill. Oh, well, yeah, there's no, the garage Stu door. The then there's they the garage door Stu kill. So, I mean, it's really, like, about the knife, though, obviously. And same with Michael. Like, there's a couple times it's not, but it's usually the mic or the knife. But, like, Jason, it's found shit all the time. It's the machete, but it's things like, okay, cool, here's this, like, arrow. I'm going to kill this person with. Oh, I'd say Jason is, like, one of the most notorious for it. Like, he uses antlers, and he uses television, and he uses a crossbow. Right, he uses, like, things things he finds around, and that this felt very much like this, where she has her her knife, but then, you know, when, especially in that moment, like, shit, she's, like, a fucking survivor. There's sort of, like, her little Mm -hmm. final girl moment of, like, I'm going to, like, persevere through this i'm gonna make this happen and uh she grabs mong and it's you know it's a funny relatable like to what he was up to it's as funny as this movie could be yes um (laughs) i agree i was looking so we're we're up to the part of the episode where if you haven't listened before we oh position in the horror landscape um relative unknown uh it is for like deep cut slasher fans um but it does have a following. Um, like this is a movie that I have found. If you get into like horror, any sort of horror, horror like social networking, there's usually like a solid group of people that are like, oh yeah, Dream Home. Like mm-hmm. I really like Dream Home. It's a like a mean little slasher. Um, like I would say honestly, this is more. More people in the slasher world at least have heard of this than some of the other movies we've covered, like For the sure. Hospital Massacre or what was that one? The New Year's one or. God. Well, even I would say iced in. There's a That's lot the of stuff we that we've love covered with with mistake. <laughs> That's the one I'm thinking of. What the shit is that movie called? Is it not on our list? Oh, oh that's the oh wrong Home list. Sweet Home. It's Home Sweet Home. That's what yeah. I'm thinking of. Oh, like I, that I, movie. yeah, I love that movie. I mean, yeah. I 
for different reasons. But um, yeah, so this, uh, we are to the part of the episode, if you've never listened, we do at the end of every episode, uh, every episode rank the movies. You can find the list at keepscreaming.com slash the dash list. Um, and it's um, how they are a slasher, not how much we like them, not how, um, like, not our favorites, nothing like that. It's how they kind of, like, function as a slasher. Um, and so... This is our 64th movie that we will be covering. Mm-hmm. Um, I think number one, my list is loading. Nightmare on Elm Street. Right, we have a new number one. I forgot. My buddy Valentine reigned supreme for like two years. Yeah. Um, and then we covered Nightmare and Nightmare 2. So Nightmare on Elm Street took over at number one. But my bloody Valentine, Black Christmas, the original, Friday 13th Part 2, and then Friday 13th round out our top five. And then at the bottom, we have both April Fool's Days um, with April Fool's Day from 2008 at the very, very bottom. Yeah, April Fool's Day from 86 finally lost its last place spot. Yeah, and then Girls Night Out, Cry Wolf, and Happy Death Day to You rounding out that that bottom five. And again, Happy Death Day to You and and Cry Wolf are both like, B and I both love those movies, but they don't operate well as slashers. Um, So, you know, that's what we look at is how does this movie operate as a slasher? And it's interesting because it does and it doesn't. Right. So like, and what I always say is the most important, and what I think we've learned with this is the most important thing is the movie has to move along based on the kills. Like right. that is slasher. And this film obviously does this. Yeah. The, the point of the movie is the killing. Yeah. All yeah. the other stuff is awesome extras and can be done really well or really bad. But if the kills aren't working and aren't, purposeful it's not a good slasher so it has that going for it yeah we don't have a final girl which is like a big no-no like that it it's very rare i mean like because you look silent diet deadly night is number 18 and we don't have a final girl there mm-hmm. like it has to be done well but i do think our final our killer has i think our killer has more backstory there and also like you said we get more involved with the peripheral characters um, there's the whole thing with his parents, with right. the, the orphanage. Um, we see a lot of that in that movie, mm-hmm. which I think carries farther than the stuff we get here. But I do mm-hmm. like that we get backstory, mm-hmm. even if it's shallow-ish. Um, you know, and again, cultural stuff. Like right. a lot of what we've read in the reviews definitely says like this is very in tune with like the doggy dog style of Hong Kong, you know, real estate. Yeah. Um, so it feels like something that would resonate particularly with them. Like. I almost feel like it was probably cathartic for a lot of like Hong Kong residents. So you're like, right. yeah, yeah, fuck these guys. Yeah, um, exactly. Like fuck this couple living in this loft. Yeah. Like, so like that. How do they afford that? That's kind of something there to think about too. But it is very rare that we have a movie that doesn't have a final girl. Cause even like movies that don't really, someone gets like shunted into the role just by right. existing. By surviving. Yeah. And like that even, doesn't exist even here. like low movies on our list, like uh blood night, like our final girl just survives, you know? Yeah. Our, um, so yeah, but it's not about them. It's, it's solely based on our killer. So then we look at our killer who like, what do we think about them? Their motive, their, you know, their weapon, their, you know, and I think I like her motive a lot. I mean, I think that's a very valid, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, as, val- as valid as it can be. But I like that storyline. Like, she's just so desperate to make this, like, dream come true that she's just like, yeah, you know, you just have to kill people for it. Like, for sure. It doesn't matter who they are. You just got to do it. Um, I like that. I think that's a good motive. I think, you know, personality-wise or what – it she's very much could be masked. And I'm a little bummed that she's not masked. 
Um, Again, probably a cultural thing. Yeah. I mean, like, um, like uh, you know, slashers are very heavily influenced by Giallo, and as we've learned from Brennan, Krimi. Mm-hmm. Um, but the masked thing is, well, I mean, those were both used in those, but it was very much more basic. Like, you know, Giallo's was big on like leather <laughs> um, like and you know gloves leather gloves and... yeah big big on gloves and like you know f- low fedoras and stuff but like the whole like theme mask is a very american thing mm-hmm. and i'm not even saying like does it have to be themed but some sort of disguise right i mean she but, does I mean, she does she's in like utility wear yeah because... she she wears the low cap and the yeah. like she looks like a janitor almost right um so she does go in disguise right and we do spend a little bit of the movie not knowing who she is um like right. that's how they introduced her to us is like who's this random person and then right. when it's finally revealed who she is we start getting backstory right um so you know and so like because that stuff is effective and like it's not the best but it still works and then the kills are good i like i'm kind of looking at like right around like game over range because it's kind of like your unconventional slasher um where game over didn't really have fall super in line with those slasher tropes until like the last third of that movie yeah this is like sort of our section of some things work some things don't yeah because we get like you know we right here we have game over i still know what you did last summer alone in the dark the new black christmas from 2019 carpenter mischief night it's a lot of movies that we enjoy but like there's heavy missteps yeah, like um, they have things that really say i am a slasher all those movies for the most part, I go like, yeah, it's a slasher. Yeah, or um, even like right above it, Alice Sweet Alice and Terror Train, which like I feel like Terror Train is like slasher light, and then Alice Sweet Alice is almost more giallo than slasher, mm-hmm. um, but heavily, you know, influenced. Yeah, uh, I think Alice Sweet Alice it's proto. Yeah. yeah. Um. So like that's right around where I'm looking because mm-hmm. because just... it does feel like like you know we we do have this we have this character that we follow who's um you know has motive that's solid family backstory which is cool um re- i mean brutal kills um and then you know near the end we get a little more fun with them um so i you know i do and like it does feel like a home and in- it's you flip home invasion you know it's almost like it's almost like if you were to take your next and follow it from the intruders mm-hmm. uh instead of from the like the family inside and so like to think of it that way of like a meta take on slashers almost i want to say like and this might be too low for you. So you can say like right above 2008's prom night, but right below Slaughter High. Because with, because I'm looking at these, because even with Slaughter High, especially these three in particular, the Carpenter, Mischief Night from 2013 and Slaughter High, they all set up in the slasher formula and like the blueprint, Mm -hmm. but then they're just not very good at it. Right. And they lack, but even like, you know, like all of these, you've got, um, you know, a killer, you've got a cast of people getting killed off. Um, it's just, they lack in how they followed through with that blueprint. Right. Where this, where then prom night is like, it tries to use the blueprint, but then just forgets. It's just, and, and it's not good. And like, we don't get a final girl arc. And like, there's, there's so many things that it, it starts to build you like a, a good slasher and then it fails where all of these other films like still fail. Like, cause even game over follows the, 
right i mean she's home and like she's she, home yeah. she's got these like masked assailants right she has the tragic uh, backstory stalking her she's got this arc of like learning how to survive right um, but still like and i agree but with you. it's hard to compare it's, right it you is you know it's apples and oranges right? when i feel it's, like because this is one other than silent night deadly night this is one of the first like because we will get to more movies like this because we're going to get th two things eventually like tragedy girls which really yeah. flips things on their head or the final girls which we'll yeah. have to figure out how to do one day you know like right. there are definitely things like because final girls you know sets up all those things too but like does it in a di very different way and then tragedy girls here you are following your killers um you know and there are things and, you know eventually one day we want to get to probably final destination and how like Actually, that is straight up slash. I was going to say, but it's just like, straight up, which is what this list is. Right. Yeah. So, but like, yeah. And so, so that we have to knock the fact that even though this is 100% a slasher and 100% about these like crazy, like well done kills with good practical effects and like really violent and visceral. I mean, it's even look at Maniac, you know, it's like you can kind of compare it in that we're following the killer. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, it's down there because it's it's lacking the rest of the formula mm -hmm. to be, you know, this is a slash. This is what a slasher is. This yeah. is just slasher elements. Yeah. Good ones. Like the most it has the most important slasher element, but it's lacking all the other ones. Right. So, I mean, I think, oh, honestly, you could probably compare it to Maniac the most. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, yeah. I mean, you definitely can. Um, I definitely the feeling it gives you, too. Yeah. The feeling, the fact that we're, I mean, I totally forgot about this, that we're uh, following, following our killer. killer yeah. And we're not following, you know, the people he's actually killing. They're yeah. nameless. Mm -hmm. Man. Man, this is tough. Yeah. I just think but with that, I do those. think it does better than mm -hmm. Maniac at it being a slasher. I do think it does better at the 76 Town That Dreaded Sunlight and or Sundown and 2008's Prom Night. Like, right. Yeah. And like, the, I think the thing that's making it hard for me is because I think even though we don't have a final girl, there are parts of this movie where she functions as one. Uh huh. Um, yes. And also, I do think her motive a little bit reminds me of something more not like exactly but it kind of reminds me like all the boys love mandy lane where we have a killer who has this motive that justifies the killings and it mm -hmm. like because i feel like maniac obviously he has a motive and stuff but like it's also just crazy yeah and yeah yeah exactly he's like crazy you know and like um and it's it just it's also a little sleazier and like everything like that so like oh man that's hard um because it's just like again i look at it and because i feel like right in this range like we've discussed so many of these movies stumble all over the place mm -hmm. you know like there's lots of things black christmas that follow the slasher formula but then there's also a lot that doesn't like it kind of loses what track of what it is in the third act mm -hmm. um and then you know alone in the dark kind of dances around the slasher formula and plays around with it but it kind of also is all over the place um and like this i feel like never at least like the whole movie i'm always like this is a slasher that's the only reason I put it like a little above because like mischief night and even like the carpenter black Christmas alone in the dark. Like there are parts of those movies where I'm just like, this is so not a slasher movie. And it's like totally like kind of bounces around And this movie the whole way through. I'm like, this is a slasher. Like, even though it misses some of those other things, it feels, it still nails the, like the genre down. And like, I know it's 
horrible to say, but I want to put it closer to like, I still know what you did because even though that movie does the same thing where it kind of like, is like what's happening in this movie, you know? And like, it's very erratic and it like moves all over the place. That movie is still a slasher through uh-huh. and through. Like you watch it and you're like, yeah, this is a slasher. It's just not an effective slasher. Yeah. You know, you get somebody the kills off screen. Yeah, yeah. You get lazy. So like, I almost want to put it above those just because I do think from start to finish, it's a slasher movie where even though alone in the dark black christmas carpenter those movies handle slasher tropes better it's for a much more minimal amount of time because carpenter i mean literally like carpenter i feel like isn't really a slap like it has slasher kills but that movie feels like a looney tune most of the time and like it has I love slasher that. kills and it has like a slasher killer for right sure. right like, like our killer is it's just the, right our and, final girl like that isn't like an arc it's just this sort of weird scenario and there's just a lot of other weird shit yeah, that happens exactly. in that movie that and like then, distracts you from the from the slasher element but right. like i mean really what this is coming down to is like you think it feels like one more than those movies but why because it's it's more focused yes like the whole way through we are like even though it doesn't carry quite as many of like the slasher elements that we think of when we look at the genre like it's still definitively a slasher it's just one note you know mm-hmm. um where the other ones okay. are still slashers but they're kind of all over the place where this like even though it's one note i that note is slasher which mm-hmm. is like why i kind of place it with you know, right around that game over, I still know what you did last summer range. Because, like, even something like Terror Train, where I even think Terror Train does that, where, like, that whole Follows movie... the formula, but then it, but you're like, like, this is weird. doesn't like, deliver this is goofy. on it. Yeah, and, like, you know, but that whole movie, start to finish the way it's framed, the backstory, the, the disguises, that whole movie, you can tell you're in a slasher movie. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel with this, too. Whereas when you watch something like Alone in the Dark, Black Christmas, um, Carpenter, and I think it's funny, like, these movies all kind of switch places where they do it, but, like, they lose track of that. Like Alone in the Dark, the first two thirds of that movie is not a slasher movie. It's like very, very like kind of, you know, like crazies. And then it like slowly focuses until it's a slasher at the end of the movie. Um, But then like, and then Black Christmas is actually, I feel like starts as more as a slasher and then turns into this like supernatural. (laughs) Yeah, whatever uh, that was. Yeah, so like, but this the whole time, like I'm, you know, from the get go, it feels like a slasher and I feel like it never loses that momentum. Yeah. It's just a little more one note. So I, I would yeah. put it uh, above alone in the dark. Yeah. I'm fine with that. Okay. So it's our new number 47 below. I still know what you did last summer. This is a prime example of a movie I liked more than I know what you did last summer, but it falls lower on the list. Um, Cause I don't like that movie. Very I don't much. either. And like, like at all. Yeah. It's a no. movie that I only, I mean, I'll rewatch it a lot more than a lot of stuff, but only because I want, it's like ridiculous. And well, funny we love and the like, cast. I and love like the cast, the story but I'm not going to watch it for enjoyment. I'll watch it because it's like fun to drink and watch it at a party. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's last time we watched it. We really, again, ever since doing this podcast, I've loved doing that going in with like really open mindset and like re-examining movies. And so I've always kind of felt that way about that, that movie. I've that's always been, been like, unkind. I still know the podcast. Yeah. That I, Oh, that I was just like, not good <laughs> for it. Yeah. Um, so, Oh, we covered the final girls. When did we cover that? Did we? I guess I blacked that out. Holy shit, when did we do that? We've been doing this a long time. Three, I was like, we're eventually going to get there. And then, oh, I do remember covering that. 
Oh yeah. So I talked. Yeah, we definitely covered the final girls. I'm I'm tripping y'all. We haven't done tragic girls. No, we have not. Um. Okay. So we're back. We're gonna be back on schedule. Our next one is. We're pretty sure we have. No, we are going to line it up. We have a guest, uh, Molly Henry from Blogging Banshee, and you can also find her a number of other other places. Um, her column is over at Certified Forgot um, right now. Um, uterus horror, um, but she's also—I mean, she's everywhere. Molly writes for everything, um, so you can find her. She's going to be on for our next episode covering Cherry Falls, which is something we've been looking forward to covering a lot. Um, and then you know we just got to power through our odds slashers because we just can't help ourselves. Yeah, I know. And then but hey, we've been getting some nice feedback that they appreciate. People appreciate that we are covering sort of the forgotten nineties. Not just appreciate, not just covering, but appreciating. Yeah. That. So I mean, I feel I feel okay with getting these going through the small amount that we have before we, you know keep chucking away at all the 80s films that everybody else has talked about. Yeah. Um, so Cherry Falls will be our next one, and then um, we'll figure the rest out eventually. Um, with me moving and everything. Yeah. Um, we'll see. And then one day we'll finally get Aaron back on the show. But what, what did he request he really wants to do? So we're going to have to wait forever. Um, he was like, I want to do this. I think it was like one of the Halloween. No. I don't know. He wants to do something. We're like, no. Something from a major franchise. And he's like, I'm going to have to wait. It might be Dream Warriors. I don't know. Oh, it was. Um, yeah. yeah. He wants to do um, uh, Dream Wars Nightmare. Yeah. So one day, Aaron will we be said, back on the um, show. Yeah. Later. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so we're glad to be back and definitely go back and check out the last episode if you haven't um, with Brennan because it's a blast. It is. Um, he's always just so he's fun. He's the best. Yeah. Honestly, like, I don't know how you guys listen to us without him. His eye for things is just, Yeah. Um, it's unmatched for yeah. sure. And so go follow him on Twitter too. Cause some of the shit he's been posting about lately, like some of the stuff he's like the slashers he's watching. I'm just like, what is this? Uh, but it's great. So Brennan's the best. We love him so much. Yes. Uh, and we're glad to be back. We missed you guys. Thank yes. you for waiting it out. It was actually really cool. Like I had people messaging me and they're like, when are you coming back? And I was like, people care. <laughs> they care. Yeah. They um, like us. So they that really was like really us. neat. We appreciate that. Um, and we love you guys. And until then keep screaming. Screaming.